everybody, welcome to Love Unlocks. I'm Heinz Winkler, your host, and uh, this is where we chat to some amazing people with wonderful stories about how God's love has unlocked their lives. And it's brought to you by our ministry, Love Key, where we minister wholeness to families and unity to the body of Christ. And our heart is to see a healthy families build a healthy nation. And uh, our guest today is a, is a man that I met fairly recently. I uh, had the privilege of uh, performing at their church. And uh, it was an amazing experience. We had an awesome chat from the, from the airport to his church. And uh, it was, it's an amazing story that I just want you guys to, to hear today. Uh, he is a, he's the leader of Lighthouse Church in Secunda. He's got a beautiful wife, children. He loves Jesus. He loves his city. He loves his people. And uh, he's, they've got an amazing ministry going on there. And I want you to give a big round of applause and a warm welcome to Derek Chester Brown. Woo! Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Winkler. It's a, <laughs> a privilege to be on with you. Uh, thank you so much for making the time, man. I really appreciate it. It's so cool to have you all the way from Secunda. Is it nice and cold there? Yeah. Man, the Cape sent the best weather. <laughs> it, uh, it's wet. Yes. It's raining and it's cold. Oh, wonderful. That's good. Oh, that's good. great. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, listen, we've had snow. We've had wind. We'd had thunderstorms a week ago. I couldn't believe it. I thought it only happens up in uh, Joburg, but we had some lovely... Lovely thunderstorms and uh, just great rain. Praise Jesus. I mean, five years ago, we were in a drought. And uh, now yeah. it's like, so I think even some Capitonians are getting back to the point where they go, is it, is it really going to rain this long? <laughs> like, shush, <laughs> just be grateful. Yeah. Just we never complain about rain ever again. <laughs> yeah, no, those days are gone. No, you've seen some of it, yeah, but it's, it's good. Stay indoors. That's awesome. And, uh, and I want to welcome every one of you who are logging on. I can see you guys there. Uh, we've got some regulars. We've got some other people. It's so good to see you. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, please ask questions, make comments. Uh, it'll be great. We want this to be interactive and for you to, uh, to enjoy this experience with us. And while you're listening, please share it with uh, friends, with family uh, that, that can also benefit from a conversation about hope and inspiration. Uh, we would love for this to get as wide and to as many people as possible. Uh, so thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, so how I normally do this is I ask some icebreaker getting to know you questions um, but I just today I want to do it a little bit differently because I think all of that stuff will will kind of come through the story and uh, I, I wanted to start with uh, with Derek uh, from the moment we met because this was mm. this was an interesting story so I was I was booked by his church Lighthouse Church to come and do a Christmas carols event at their church and um, normally I don't know who picks me up from the airport I just land and I go to where the sign says my name and you know. So there's there's this guy standing there with his bald head and his beard and his tattooed arms and he's holding up a board with my name. And I go, okay, cool, this is my ride. So and I start talking to him and uh, and I ask him, so who's the pastor at your church? <laughs> actually, you know what you actually said to me? What did I say? You said to me, you said to me, how do you fit into the church? <laughs> Oh, that's a horrible way of saying it. That's true. I, I actually met, what is your, what is your what you job, said. your position yeah. at the church? <laughs> and then you said, I'm the pastor. Yeah, that's what happened. Mm, oh, my word. And, uh, and, uh, and I just realized in that moment, this, this, this is so cool because I realized, you know, first impressions, 
preconceived ideas, all these things, yeah. you know, it, it actually, it creates, you know, wrong impressions many, many times. And, uh, and then we had the coolest conversation. But I would love to know, um, you know, what was your first impression of me when, I, when we met and spoke? The, the first impression, I mean, obviously, you're the well-known guy and I'm not. <laughs> so the first impression was, were, it was um, only a Cape Tonian or flying short pants. And, uh, <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was and, and then you walked up and, it, you know, it, it, it's weird because I'd kind of seen you on stage and I'd obviously followed you uh, with idols and that. And... Then all of us, you know, you see, you meet the personality, but you're not meeting the personality, you're meeting the person. Yeah. So it was great just to meet the normal guy behind the, um, behind the, I don't, I don't want to say facade because it's not fake, but behind the showman. Yeah. Um, and uh, that you're, you're quite a normal guy. And then you insisted that we're going to get Woolworths coffee. Yes. Uh, which is obviously something that is close to my heart. <laughs> and uh, so I, I realized that there was a connection deeper than just us. Ministering for a weekend. Amen. Amen. Yeah, listen. If if you can uh, if you can connect over good coffee, then that that's already says a lot, you know. If you cannot connect over good coffee, there's a problem. Yes, yes. And y your church actually, you know, you guys make an effort to serve great coffee at your church. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I yeah. love it when that happens. That's so cool. And then we got into the car. We started the long drive to Secunda, and uh, and you started sharing your story, and. I remember listening to this and going, this can't be real. This can't be, you know, this sounds like a movie. And uh, I hope one day you write a book and make a movie because that would be really cool. And then, and almost every time I ask you a question and we go deeper into the story, um, you say something surprising. <laughs> it's just, I love this. I love this. And then it was just so cool to spend time with your family and uh, your church and be be surrounded by what you guys what God has done through you in that city um, and I, I would just wanted you to to come on this platform today and, and and share how did you what was your life like before Jesus and how did you turn that around and and meet him and and what does it look like now um, and I, we can do it in a conversation style but I, I would like you to lead the just telling that story because I th really think it can bless a lot of people. Yeah, thanks, Heinz. I appreciate the opportunity as well. Um, you know, any opportunity to to make a fuss about Jesus is, a, is one <laughs> worth taking. Amen. Uh, you know, so I'll tell you the story of my life a little bit. It'll be in a nutshell. And obviously, uh, if there's something that I mentioned when we were in the car that I, I, I leave out now, and you think it might be relevant, remind me and okay. I can share more detail. All right. But... So the, the crazy part of my story is I grew up and it, it wasn't in a broken home. It was a, a grew up in an amazing home, wonderful parents and active in the church, loved Jesus. I was exposed to everything. Uh, I, I look, I grew up hating church, hating everything about church. I think I thought it was just a gathering of hypocrites that wanted uh, to ruin good weekends by consuming your Sunday mornings with uh, <laughs> bad music and a boring speech. And... It, it, for me, it is the, the height of frustration watching this lifeless religion being played out and my parents giving their lives to it. They, sure. they, they really gave their lives to the gospel, uh, whether it was my dad, who was, uh, he was a cop, but he was also an evangelist. He'd preach every weekend and he dragged me with um, and I'd, I'd go with him, just hating it. He'd go preach in the hospitals. Obviously, then being apartheid, you had the hospitals for the non-whites and hospitals for the whites. Mm. And he'd go minister in hospitals uh, for the non-whites. 
and he, you know, he dragged me with and he'd preach and see people saved. And I never saw the point to this. I, uh, it looked like he was trying to earn his way to heaven. I didn't realize that the, the mandate of the Christian, because that is normal Christianity, actually. Um, he wasn't a super Christian. He was a normal Christian living out his mandate. And I wow. watched this from a point of view as a youngster who was driven by the love of money, uh, wanting, to, wanting to satisfy earthly needs as opposed to pursuing anything else. And so I always thought his life was a bit of a waste. Uh, sure. He's spending years doing this. Um, and I had guys pray over me, you know, these, uh, I, I say this slightly mockingly now, it's not the way I feel about it now, but it's just to reveal how I felt about it in the moment. Mm. I'd have these people step up to me as a kid. I remember, uh, you know, a few specific names because later they, they were a little bit more famous, guys like Ronald Bronke laying hands on me saying, you know, one day you're going to do great things for God. Wow. And I looked up at this guy and I remember thinking, it's funny that you'd say that because you've done nothing. Wow. You know, what have you done? So. It's easy to, you know, I look at this and think, so we just pretend you say the right things to my family, then they invite you back to the church. And I never understood the power of prophecy. And those prophetic words that were spoken in my life, in those moments, it made no sense. And then for the next 20 years after that, it would make absolutely no sense. Uh, by the time I hit high school, I was consumed by, by you know, booze and anything. You know, I, I had no bad friends. I wasn't influenced by bad people. I was the one that got the other kids smoking up. I was the one that would organize the booze. I was the one that would have the fun. Sure. Um, and that is much high school. And there's no flares that go up there. I used to, I was, I was really naughty, but I was able to do it undercover uh, and not get into too much trouble. I, I respected my dad too much to blatantly uh, mess everything up in, you know, in front of him. Okay. And, but I was doing things like uh, I ran a small porn syndicate when I was in grade 10 just to make a bit of extra cash. Uh, you know, the normal it's stuff most kids do with Normal, normal stuff, old. yeah. Uh, <laughs> pornography mood. was still banned then. Yeah. Um, uh, just try to smuggle diamonds because I grew up in a town called Kimberley and that's all you could do. You smuggle diamonds. Or what? Drink, so I, did both. I don't think you mentioned uh, that one. That's crazy. Yeah, look. You know, if we go into details, this takes a long time. Uh, I was trying to smuggle diamonds when I was in matric. Uh, sure. But I bought the most expensive glass on the planet because you know, I knew nothing about diamonds and whatever the guy told me. Uh, anyway, so wow. that's kind of my life in high school. When I left high school, my plan was actually just to become a diamond smuggler. I didn't want to. Uh, I started studying a little bit, but it wasn't something that I was really going to pursue a career. Uh, I wanted to be a, a, a diamond smuggler because I saw the guys around me making a ton of cash and that's what I wanted to do. Sure. And um, went off to study, like I said, lasted there three weeks when the, the Technicon and I both decided it wasn't my calling and they asked me to leave and I was happy to oblige. <laughs> and you know, I started working, got a normal job and that's when I met this amazing blonde chicky. Um, so the story I'm about to tell involves a really sweet, then innocent 19-year-old uh, uh, who, who's still my wife today. And uh, so the journey started then. It was just a journey of um, drunkard brawls and a boozing life. And that's all I ever did. Uh, I'd, I'd spend my life drinking and uh, getting into fights and getting beat up. And uh, I've had extensive dental surgery to replace teeth. And um, I, I have more crowns than most kings will ever dream of. And that, that was my life just trying sure. to uh, – that was before I was 19. Wow. And – then I decided to, to leave Kimberley, go, go move to the big city. I needed to get away from my parents. This Christian stuff was stifling. Um, it's pointless. It's dead. And 
I'd made a deal with God when I was 15. I said, if you are real, then give me everything I want by the time I'm 30, and then I will consider serving you. Because in all honesty, if you need me, I don't know if I need you. Wow. Uh, I made a verbal covenant like that. Mm. My dad actually heard. He said to me, my boy, you've made a mistake. And uh, I looked at his life of commitment to Christ. And I thought, well, it looks like you've done, you've done quite poorly for yourself as well. Um, and then moved in with my girlfriend, moved to Pretoria, and life seemed a little bit normal. It was consumed with booze and um, partying and, you know, general stuff. We got married. And my wife would tell you there was nothing normal about it because what had happened was I started getting into this routine of excessive drinking and then getting physically abusive with her. Mm. Uh, and this is after, you know, we had had our first daughter. Sure. Uh, so this is 20, 22 years ago. Um, physically abusive, verbally just vicious. Mm. Um, but for me, you know, being a, being a narcissist that I was, I, I would be able to turn the story around. Eventually, she's asking me for forgiveness, even though I'm the one who's transgressed. Yeah. And, and then I started playing around with other things. I, I, I was getting into a lot of fights and we we're doing a lot of things and uh, that was illegal as far as um, living on steroids and um, just picking fights wherever we could. And a friend of mine one day says to me, he said, look, you, you know, you're using all these steroids. Why don't you become a debt collector? Oh, that's not a bad idea. And at, at, at this time, I, I'd, been, I'd gotten involved in running a syndicate of stolen goods. And the syndicate, because I had a normal job, but, you know, that is just a front for me to prove that I had a job. But, you know, these printer cartridges, the inks and the toners and all that, I, I used yeah. to run a smuggling syndicate where we used to, we used to move serious stock, millions of stuff. Um, that is a good sideline to, to generate wealth. Wow. Um, but, you know, every small sin grows into a big sin. And a friend of mine said, look, you, you've gotten a bit big and you, you're a bit ogre-like, so why don't you start doing debt collecting? And not the debt collecting where you send a lawyer's letter, where you just go and encourage the person through one or two blue eyes and a dislocated joint that perhaps you should pay his account. <laughs> Baseball bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is South Africa. It's a cricket, cricket bet. Cricket bet. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, that, the baseball bets, yeah. Anyway, so we, uh, we start doing this, and I, I'm speaking through this quickly because I want to uh, – the great part of my testimony is not being evil and sinful yeah. because being evil and sinful is the weakest thing you can do because that's just saying yes to the mess. Yeah, wow. Uh, I, yes I, I used, well. I just, I, I lived on steroids. I went from weighing 79 kilos to 130 kilos, mm. um, living my life on booze constantly. By this time, my wife weighing, you know, in at a heavy 55 kilos and me weighing in at 131 kilos, the fight wasn't fair anymore. Sure. So she just lived in constant fear. Yeah. Uh, I'd gotten into businesses and different business partnerships with really bad people, um, and the debt collecting had got out of hand, and you start developing this God complex because you can do what you want and say what you want and get away with whatever you want. And it, it, you know, I'll never forget the scene as it played out. A friend of mine and his wife and my wife and I and me, we're sitting in a limousine on Valentine's Day going to Sun City to go gamble a bit. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, I was 28, and I'm thinking, man, this is it. This is the way life should be. Um, endless supply of money do whatever I want. And as we're traveling, he, and I'd never played the drugs. In high school, smoked a bit of weed and that. I didn't enjoy it. And, the, you know, this guy, and it, it's one of those, it, it's a fork in the road, but it's as if the one route was camouflaged. And he says to me, look, you, do you want to try some of this? He's got a little bank bag. 
I saw a little transparent pouch with some white powder, and I go, well, I don't do drugs. He goes, this isn't drugs. It's like the stuff we use for gym. Just try a bit, and I sniff a little bit, and I realize in that moment that in all the years of me sitting at school and some person standing on stage telling me that drugs are bad and drugs will kill you, was lying. Drug, drugs were quite awesome. And uh, I didn't <laughs> die, so the whole thing about dying was also a lie. And, and we're sitting in the limo, and to use the terminology, we're sitting in this limo, and I'm snuffing um, methamphetamine, and we go to Sun City, we have a whole lot of fun, and it's, uh, well, it's synthetic fun, because you're high, and you're getting into fights. It, it just, it's chaos. It's this permanent, it's living life in a tumble dryer, sure. and thinking it's a great ride. Meantime, it's just chaos. Yeah. And my wife, and my wife had just given birth probably about six months prior to this to our second daughter. Mm. And, but she'd tow the line. She'd do whatever I said because of the fear of being of being physically hurt. And, and I'm not saying about pushing her around. I, by this time, I'd become a bit of a more trained fighter. So I knew where to hit her. I'd hit her in places because she'd run to my dad. And, and this sounds disgusting because it is utterly disgusting. But I would hit her in places that she could never show my dad without embarrassing herself beyond a point of you know normality. Wow. So you know, hit her in the pri- private areas and I'd punch her in the hairline and grab her and pull her around. Sure. And I was, I was doing this all day with debt collecting and I was bringing my work home. Yeah. And just the absolute depravity of it. I was permanently high. Uh, because what had happened was after using these drugs a bit, I didn't use drugs for another three or four months, uh, possibly even six, maybe not a lot. But after that period of time, I said to my friend, get, him, get me some more of that stuff. It is fun. And obviously I can control it because I haven't used it in quite a few months. And... Then the slippery slope became a free fall because mm. then we started using drugs. I, I was still the money addicted fiend. I didn't want to waste money. So the whole thing would be, I don't want to spend money on buying drugs. How, much, how many drugs do I have to buy before I can get a better discount? So we started buying bulk. You can't use that volume. So you start having to sell. We develop a network. We start selling drugs. Um, I didn't want to spend that much money buying drugs. So we develop a system and we get ways of how to manufacture drugs. From the moment of using drugs, nine months later, I had my own meth lab running at my house. Whoa. Um, sure. Living on 10 to, 10 to 12 grams of methamphetamine a day. Um, it was just the norm. Yeah. I got my wife addicted to it as well because Sin loves company, not misery. Misery has, when, you, when it's miserable, you have no company. Sin loves company. Mm. And uh, I'd said to my wife, she had just given birth, like I said. So, yeah, my, little, my little one was actually, she was younger. She was six months old, four, five or six months old. And I said to my wife that uh, you're obviously carrying quite a bit of fat after giving birth and you need to make a plan and lose this excess weight. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to use this. And, you know, those are the real words of love. And especially when you're using it on a woman whose love language is words of affirmation. Sure. So I, I, um, I get her onto the meth and, and, and she shrinks down. She uses this stuff, this, uh, methamphetamine. And she goes down, she's eventually weighing 46 kilos, she's skin and bone, she's losing, losing feeling in her hands because her arms are so skinny. Wow. And I'm just feeding her enough drugs to shut her up. I'm running the lab at the house. Um, eventually, we have offices where it's all fake offices. I, I set up a fake security company with surveillance cameras. And behind the, behind the surveillance screens, we had set up the, 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 the mixing and drying trays of the meth. Hmm. Um, so people could walk in and, and not know what we're really up to. Sure. And so we, we're living this life of it's debt collecting and it's violence and I'm physically abusing my wife and I'm you know, emotionally abusing her as well. Um, we're selling drugs, we're making drugs. 
the, the level of chaos where you, you're living, um, uh, you know, I ended up sleeping twice a week. On a Monday night and a Thursday night would be my sleep time. And I'd normally get in about 20 hours sleep. But on those days, you'd crash. And I knew I'd have to crash because your, your body needs a reset. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the longest we did was 13 days nonstop on drugs. But you reset. You only remember about four of those days. Um, wow. No idea what I got up to. It got to a point I'd get home where I'd be covered in blood, my knuckles are bleeding, and my, my body's hurting, my face is swollen. Swollen, sorry. Uh, I don't know where I've been. I don't know what I've used. I don't know who I've encountered. I don't know who I've hurt. I don't know anything of what's happened. But this is the state I'd get home in. <laughs> and then my wife, I wouldn't be home for four days. She wouldn't hear from me. And then my wife would be physically abused because dinner wasn't ready or dinner was cold. Sure. So she lived in a state of fear. Um, She'd run to my dad and say, your boy's hurting me. Uh, my dad would say to look, but at that stage I was, I was doing some fighting tournaments. My dad would say, I've seen my boy fight. I've seen what he does to grown men. If he was hitting you, show me the marks. Which is, you know, it, it sounds like a fair statement, but in all reality I knew what I was doing to hurt her. Um, and at the same time impose as much pain on her and, and protect myself at the same time from the embarrassment. Because you know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. And... So he could never, you know, he, he could never, you know, he'd say to me, look, what's going on? I said, look, you stay out of my business, I stay out of yours. Uh, at the, the, my dad passed away, just, you know, literally, uh, from our last discussion we having that, he passed away a month later. Mm. And so, he, you know, it, it was a bit of a, it was a tense moment for me. I was really close to my dad, loved him dearly, he was a great man. Then he died. Then things unraveled even worse. Then it got totally out of hand. Wow. Um, the level of violence, the level of anarchy in my life, sure. uh, the 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 fear that I could create because of my the element of hatred, mm. uh, the element of the, the 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 level of racism, the level of you know you 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 the self destruct mode that you enter into when you've entertained all of this utter rubbish for so long. Well, nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, and. Uh, my, my mom was looking after my daughter the one day and, and she'd come running and she slipped and fell and I was freaking out and I wanted to kill our domestic worker because why is the kid running around naked and wet? Meantime, my little one, you know, just out of excitement, dad's home, hopped out of the bath and came running. Sure. So I tried to kill our domestic worker and my mom shouts out and she shouts and I'll never forget this. One of those things, also a real moment in my life that I'm not proud of, but it, it lingers there. And my mom cried out and she said, Jesus, help us. Because, you know, she's walking with Jesus. She loves Jesus. Mm. And I turned around and I said that. And please, I'm not, I'm, I love Jesus. He's my savior. But this is what I said. I said to my mom, that dead Jew stays out of my house and I stay out of his. Sure. And if you don't like that, you can go live on the street. And at this time, um, I was taking care of my parents. I built a flat for them. They were staying with us on the property. And I made it very clear. I don't want, to, I don't want you talking about Jesus to my children. I don't want you to have anything to do with this Jesus stuff. And if you're going to do that, I will not give you a lift anywhere. I will not let you use one of my vehicles because I've given her a car. Mm. I said, if you want to do this Jesus stuff, you get one of your old friends. Uh, and I just believed old people wanted to have some form of religion because they're kind of cramming for the finals and hoping there's an afterlife because their present life was over. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> just a great guy all around. Hey, just the guy you want to invite to Christmas. Please. Oh, my word. Yeah. And I wouldn't, my mom would beg me saying, please, can you take, can she take my daughter's names of Caitlin and Leah? Can she please take Caitlin and Leah to church? And I go, there's not a chance. I don't want her to be them to be raised as these weak people sure. who, when life's a mess, they want to somehow hang on to this fakeness 
reality is you, if you life's a mess, you're an idiot, it's your own fault. I used to teach them that. I sit with my kids and go, if you want to succeed, it takes hard work and dedication. And if you're not that, you're a failure. Look around. Most people are failures because they're useless. Mm. Uh, and, and I sit and I chat to them about these things. Um, and that's kind of where life was. We were in this balance. I, I don't think I had too many years left in me at this moment. This yeah. was in 2000. So 2006, it got to this real pinnacle of chaos. Uh, by that time, the businesses, legitimate businesses that I had built up, they were going bankrupt because I was consumed with the drugs. Um, I wasn't even doing that well in selling drugs because there was constant fighting and uh, issues with the dealers and issues with stuff like that. I think I was using too much as well. I was never interested in working. So I was hitting 10 to 12 grams of meth a day yes. and uh, at least a bottle of booze every day. That, that was the kind of basic cocktail I was living on. You know, insulated some steroids in between just so that I didn't shrink and become a puny guy. And what I had planned is I would wanted to open up a drug rehab. I actually wanted to open up a, a franchise of drug rehabs with the idea that I could then get new clients in because all I would do is the guys that come into the rehab, I'd find out who their dealers are and I could become a distributor to those guys. Uh, so I wanted to grow my network that way. It's kind of like way less opening up a Krispy Kreme. Not a, not, I'm not, not saying Krispy Kreme's like drugs. Oh my word. But I'm just saying it's, it's, a, it's the same reference there. <laughs> I started talking to people about it. It's terrible. It's just awful yeah. on every level. I started talking to people about this. I, I said, you know, um, put my house in the market to, to fund uh, the rehab. Uh, and I even made a joke. I said, you know what? Christians are dumb enough. I'll even get some of their money as well. So um, we, we, we start this whole program. I'm trying to sell my house and I'm trying to raise money and I want to open up a drug rehab and I'm sitting. Now, the craziest thing happens. 2006 December for three weeks I don't use drugs at the end of December I just I, I hadn't used any drugs I don't know why I had so much I had trays of drugs at my house sure. and I just for a couple of weeks I just didn't want anything now that's not what a drug drug addicts use drugs it's the identity it's their passion it's the reason why they wake up yeah and so I didn't feel like using drugs, and I hadn't had any booze, and I'm sitting at home. Uh, this, is now, this is now January 2007, and I'm, I'm sitting at home, and in that moment, a voice speaks to me. So, um, sure. I... This is, um, people say to me, how do you know it's Jesus? Well, it's easy. When the creator of the universe speaks to you clearly, um, you, you know who he is. Yes. Um, sure. It, it doesn't, he doesn't have to say his name. You, you know who he is. Mm. And in this moment of, I'm sitting there with all my own worldly wisdom, which is absolute stupidity and meaningless. I'm sitting there thinking I'm the cleverest person ever. Uh, everything is falling out of place, but in my mind, it's falling into place. The, 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 the king of all steps into my room, and I'm totally sober. I haven't had booze in more than 10 days, and I hadn't had drugs in three weeks. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a drug-induced moment. But he steps into my room, and it felt like it was really there. And the voice was, a, it was not a, a voice inside my head. The voice was in my room. I got a fright. I, I actually spun around quickly to see who it was. And he says the most profound thing to me. He says this, it's time to shut up and start listening. 
And, and in that moment, now if he, you know, it should be, you know, the choirs were singing and the angels were there and it would have been this beautiful moment, but he had to meet me in the place that I was at. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He didn't want me to have a meeting with the place that he's at because mm. I'd never get He's happy to meet with me in the place that I'm at and speak in the way that I'd understand. Wow. And it's funny, I've been sharing this testimony for 13 years and it still gets me every time. Mm. And even in preparing, thinking and you know, getting my head around, you know, just the flow of things that I want to share today, I thought, you know, it'll be easier doing it now uh, over this meeting that it wouldn't get me. But I'm reminded that it's, it's the love of Jesus that compelled him to rock up in my room when in actual fact he should have blotted me out. He should have erased me. He should have erased me. Kind of the MIB silver wand flash just erased Derek from anyone's memory because no Derek is better than having Derek. No, no, me not ever having been there would have been better than my existence. It was a Friday morning that he speaks to me, and I'm in that in it's 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 this it's this crazy thing. When in that moment I repent of everything. I break down. I'm weeping. I'm sitting in my room, mm. and I'm weeping and I'm repenting of everything I've ever done. Sure. I'm repenting for stuff I didn't even think I had done. Yeah. Just to kind of make sure I'm covering all the bases. In the moment, it's in that moment of all this this beautiful love that steps into my room, all the mess suddenly looks dim. It's not, because often we, you know, people have this encounter with Jesus and they're saying, oh, but I'm constantly reminded of my, my past. Jesus steps in and in that moment I'm realizing my past is of, of no significance. It is nothing compared to this love of Jesus. Sure. The love of Jesus is, it's too ridiculous. And I say that with all honor and respect, but for my mind to understand that he would bother with man. It blows my mind. Yeah. The fact that he'd bother with good men blows my mind. The fact that he'd bother with rubbish like me, it doesn't make sense. Sure. So I'm sitting there and I'm weeping and I, I wander through to our, our living room and my wife, Heidi, and my two lovely girls are sitting there and I'm, I'm broken. I'm crying. Now, what would happen so often is because of the drugs and sleep deprivation, um, which obviously, like I said, now I'd been sleeping a lot. I'd almost been on a road to recovery. Uh, doesn't make sense. And I, I'd have these meltdowns and I'd come and I'd put a gun in my wife's mouth and I'd say to her, never forget that a funeral is cheaper than a divorce. And I've actually got a policy on your life as well. Yeah. That the funeral won't even cost me anything. But that's when my mind would do a reset of maybe five or six days without sleep. And I did, you know, so when I, you know, the, that was a crazy moment in anyone's life. And my wife had a few of these. I walk through to the lounge or the living area and I'm weeping and, and the kids freeze. They don't know what's going on in the dad. Haiti freezes because obviously it's a meltdown and <laughs> I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. I don't know what this looks like. My folks went to, I now I hated Christians. I used to phone local churches, uh, great churches, Pastor Ed Robert. I used to phone, um, what's the other guy in Centurion, uh, Bert Pretorius. And I would just swear at them for no I hated Christians. I hated the hypocrisy. I hated the, the, I hated the, you know, when things are a mess, God works in mysterious ways. And when things go well, God is good. I couldn't ever understand. Couldn't we rest on one place that God is good? And if it's not working out, then let's not blame God or let's not try reason or defend God. Mm. And it used to bug me that people would always try to defend God when he's not a God that needs to be defended. So I don't know what to do now. I don't know what church to go to. I don't know where to go. And my wife looks at me and she just starts weeping. Yeah. And I go, what's, what's, what's wrong now? Uh, this is the Friday morning. 
the Thursday, less than 24 hours. My wife sits with my kids and says, listen, there's a good, dad, good chance dad's going to leave us. But this Sunday we're going to church because something's waiting for us there. Yeah. Makes no sense. So it's not only that he wants to get the muck and like boast with, I can use the worst of the worst and do something. Mm. But he's that interested in my life that he gets to, that I get to do this, you know, this life with him, with my family, with my wife. He speaks to her. He speaks to me. He had to speak to me very directly because, you know, it, it's it, the, the bigger the ego, the, the louder the voice needs to be. Mm. And so we sit and I don't remember the moments after that immediately. I mean, we didn't, I don't, I don't think we prayed or anything. It would be really awesome. And, you know, if there were angels then. But what was great is within a few hours after I, you know, composed myself, trying to figure out, because now your mind's racing. Now, I love it when he says in Scripture, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He doesn't say, you know, you'll be saved in Jesus. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and figure it out with your mind. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, your emotions have to be attached to this. Yes. I'm trying to process this, and I, I'm, a, I'm a slightly analytical thinker, so this is a bit weird, but I'll never figure it out. I go to my mom, knock on the door of her, the, the house that, you know, their house on the property, and I opened that door and I looked in and I said, Mom, she went, yeah, I said, I'm home. I'm back. You know, that's good Christian, that's good Christianese because any good mom that's been praying for her son for many years knows what that means when he says, I'm home, but we're standing on his property. And, and she's weeping as one of these beautiful encounters. That whole weekend was quite surreal. Wow. That Sunday I went to church. Uh, I have no idea what they preached. They could have read a cake recipe for like it. <laughs> but when they said, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, because you know, I still had this mentality, you're going to give your heart to Jesus, you better make sure you're in his house. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so when, you know, when the pastor said, you want to give your life to Jesus, my hand shot up, my wife's hand shot up. We went, we prayed. Wow. Uh, we didn't go to the front. Just now we've done it. And sure. um, it took me a while to get used to church because church is weird. Everyone looks so happy. <laughs> and... Then they, everyone wants to interrogate you. How are you? What's your name? Yeah, Where do you work? Yeah. What do you do? Uh, and for years, I had lived under a different name purely to protect my family from chaos. Sure. And, uh, there were instances that we had to go into hiding. When the cops raided my house, six, uh, six hawks raided my house over the wall. Wow. Um, it was a scorpion thing, looking for drugs. Uh, they never found the drugs. They never opened the door to the room where they, I had a whole batch of drugs um, being processed. They searched the whole house and found other things. Uh, God protected me, never got a criminal record. Sure. Uh, which, which, you know, would have you know, really made it difficult for travel now. And then the adventure starts. Uh, I, was, I was 31 when this happened. Mm. And God had, you know, the, the, I spoke about the deal I'd made with God. Yeah. Uh, it hadn't worked out. Because within, <laughs> within three weeks of being saved, my electricity gets disconnected. Because I refuse to pay a black government rates, taxes, water, and It's not a chance. As a, as a, as a, a, a crazy white racist, why would I give a black government money? So every time they switch off my power, I'd either shoot at them or... Uh, uh, beat them up, or I changed the locks. I did various things. I don't want to give people advice on how to bypass municipal rates and taxes or electricity payment. Um, and and then now they they come and disconnect me. And and what they'd actually done is they took out the cable from the mini sub to our substation. Oh wow! Uh, because uh, 
and I used to use jumper leads from mine to the neighbors and I did these things. And I realized actually I, I either need to pay this or um, not have electricity because this is wrong. Yeah. Well, wow. you see, all of a sudden, when you get brought out of the mud, you recognize, I think the first thing Jesus washes is your face because you look around and you see where there's other mud. Sure. And what you, you, need, you need to tread lightly so you can stay on the rock. Yeah. And so our water nights get disconnected. And by this time, we, I'd, I'd gone through all our money. I'd gone through all our resources. I'd, I hadn't been working for about six months, just uh, squandering money. My wife had tried to keep the business ticking over, but it had failed as well. Just, you know, if the guy that does everything doesn't do it, then it fails. And over six months that we lived in that house, every single thing I'd ever bought with unrighteous money, with ungodly money, was taken away. Mm. It was the best six months of my life, bar none. Wow. We sat there from being having exceptional wealth. Um, where I bought and did whatever I wanted if I could buy it, I did, to all of a sudden living on handouts that the church would drop off. Wow. Not the church I even attended, a church my mom used to attend when I was trying to stop her from going to church. Sure. That church had been praying for me. What? Um, and now they hear I get saved, they wanted to pay my water nights account, and I turned it down. I said, no, I need to go through this. Wow. They, they wanted to pay just tens wow. of thousands. I forget them. I said, I need to go through this. And God provided for us for six months. Mm. Um, I got uh, God gave me an incredible job. A company that I used to work for, they took me back, created a position. My wife got a job. Um, it was, you know, when I think back, uh, no income, and perhaps people are watching this now and their finances are in trouble because of retrenchments or, you know, this COVID-19 has impacted people. Mm. I promise I did less and I had more liquid, you know, I was more liquid then than I am now and I did nothing. I, I, I sat at home and you know we, we did I did some I did odd jobs to put food on the table, but I spent the next six months all I did was read the Bible. Sure. And it's crazy. I've still got the Bible. I've got to dig it out because I need to show people this Bible. You can't open it. Because I'd sit at night with a candle to read it because we had no electricity. Uh, I burned through six generators in a matter of three weeks. The things just didn't last. <laughs> and it, it, and our generators last forever, and they're really good. Yeah. But we set to that electricity. My cars were repossessed. Uh, eventually, they sold the house on auction. Uh, I couldn't pay it. I had to let it go. Sure. But sitting without money, sitting without anything, all we had was candles, and I'd sit holding the candle over my Bible, reading about the God whose existence I denied. Mm. And I'd read stuff, and I'd go, that's what he did. That's what he did for me. It, mm. it's, and so we'd sit at night as a family and read the Word together and pray. Uh, just totally crazy prayers because I didn't have enough theology to pray good prayers. <laughs> and then God answers those crazy prayers. Sure. Because um, he's not worried about our theology, he's worried about heart. Yeah. And So good. And, and then it, it, was, it was crazy how God had to work a whole lot of stuff out of me. I never touched alcohol again. I've never touched alcohol again. Uh, you know, I've never touched drugs, alcohol, or cigarettes. It took me a month to stop smoking because I loved smoking. And uh, I didn't see smoking as an issue. I enjoyed it. And uh, I used to joke with my wife. I'd say, you know, when the presence of God would enter the temple, there'd be smoke. <laughs> and uh, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so it's just me manifesting God. And there you, you know, go. Just full of nonsense. There you go. That's a, that's a good answer to people that say, you know, if you smoke, you may not go to hell, but you'll smell like you came from there. <laughs> you just smell like you've come from it, yeah. The thing is, 
<laughs> and I, you know, I never touch drugs, never touch, touch booze again. Uh, and to this day, I don't drink. And I, you know, if you have some booze and that, that's up to you. I don't have grace in my life for alcohol. I just don't handle it well. Um, it's not my thing. And I'd been saved about a month. And I said to God, I prayed the simplest prayer. Lord, if me smoking holds you back from using me anywhere, then you stop me. And two days later, I forgot to smoke and I never had a cigarette again. Wow. And I was smoking 40 I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day Sheesh. when I stopped. And it's kind of when you surrender, not just your addiction to God, it's when you surrender your will yeah. and your plans. And he takes it and he does what he wants. Sure. Um, and it's wonderful. There was a lady that is in our church. She, she'd been battling with cigarettes for 40 years. I said to her, well, why not pray that prayer? Lord, if you want me to smoke, let me smoke. And if not, and funny enough, or beautifully enough, she stopped smoking. I'm not saying it's a formula or magic trick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by no stretch of the imagination. We know it's not that. But maybe there's something that you, you can take out of that. That's awesome. And so now we're six months into being born again, and God starts bringing restoration. Um, I'm, so I've left something out that I must share. This is the January that all of this transpires where I hear the voice of God, Jesus speaking. The December prior to this, my sister, we, have, we had no relationship. She, at her church, they had said, uh, if you want to see somebody saved, let's write their names on a sheet of paper at the prayer meeting. We put it in the box and then we pray over the box and trust God to have an encounter with them. Wow. So she puts some names down. She puts my name down and my brother-in-law, they, they're much older than me because I'm the light Lamiki and you know, we have, we're known for making nonsense. Uh, so she puts my name down on the piece of paper and my brother-in-law says, don't put his name down. People like Derek don't get saved. Wow. People like Derek grew up in a Christian household. He's chosen to willfully walk away from God. Sure. There is no redemption for him. Wow. Sure. But I, I can't live in the headspace and believe that and still have faith in God that he's, he's out to live out the word he's given us that says it's God's desire that none should perish. So good. Well done for so, that. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. For older sisters. Standing and, on the word. Standing on the truth of the word. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Exactly. And they put my name down and my wife's name and my kid's name oh. in this box wow. and prayed. It is less than a month <laughs> that God then goes, okay, I'll respond. But they had prayed, Lord, this is the last time we pray for Derek because now we're done with him. Wow. Don't hold God ransom. Don't hold him to your own time frame. Don't hold God to your T's and C's because they do not apply. But he honors something of heart. And now, you know, if you, you, perhaps you know somebody who needs to have an encounter with Jesus. Pray for them. Pray. Don't, don't, don't let people ever tell you, oh, well, there's only a limited number that's going to get saved and those who can't get saved. It's utter nonsense. You keep praying until they get born again and you just Amen. trust God to go and have an encounter yes, with Yes, that's good. Don't, don't ever back off. Amen. If you're a mom, and you praying that your son or your daughter will come to Jesus. Moms, I'm telling you, there's something special about you guys. My dad never saw me born again. He passed away, like I said, before yeah. I was born again. But he always knew I'd get saved. This old guy would quote scripture to this heathen. And I loved him enough to honor him. But I just I thought he was crazy. I never realized he kept sowing seed. Sure. My mom never believed I'd get saved. But every single day of her life, she prayed, Lord God, you know, my boy, you've given him to me. I don't know if she prayed, help me and help him, but, you know, those, those are the kind of, the, <laughs> that is a hard part. And it was then I'd been, I'd born, and look, I went to an incredible church, and that's the thing, you get born again, go to a great church. Don't try to fall into the trap of saying, I'll go on my own journey. Yeah. Um, that, that's how you end up in caves, hallucinating and coming up with false religions. Yeah. This is, this is a, 
this is a team effort. Yeah. And if Jesus needed disciples around him just to you know do have a prayer meeting, we need people around us. Uh, actually, we, we saying, had, sorry, Derek, we had a, a comment, um, someone asking about what you just said now. That and and I want to ask you, how do you know that it, it's a good church? It's a life-giving church. If you need to choose one, because this lady said that where they are, they they can't find a place where they feel like they come alive. So they rather not going and just you know talking to God on their own journey. Um, yeah. I believe in the local church. I believe that's God's plan for us. I believe in discipleship and accountability. Um, but you know you can struggle to maybe find the right one. Um, I I have my advice. I'd love to hear yours though. Take the pastor ransom. No. So what you do is, uh, um, you know, it, it, it it's tricky because uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about the question. But this is my this is the shortest answer I can give. Go and water that garden. So you don't complain about the garden being dry. Go there and be the water. Go there and be the life. Go That's there good. and bring the change. That's good. And it might be a super traditional, super religious, maybe tied up, not believing in the filling, outfilling, infilling, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, go there and be the life. Mm. Go there and be the change that's necessary. Sure. It's easy to church hop. Um, that's why the, the most local churches look like Picasso's because there's different parts of the body moving around the whole time. Yeah. It needs to be getting to your church, stay there, unless they're preaching absolute heresy, unless it's preaching that Jesus isn't fully God, unless they're preaching that the Holy Spirit um, has no place in the local church. That's something else. But it might be a lifeless church, and I promise you, you might just have a pastor or a reverend or a Germany that's just utterly exhausted. Maybe mm. you can come alongside him and you can be the life. You can just speak life over the situation and go there and be the change. And until they tell you to stop, keep just pressing in, keep trusting that uh, Jesus wants to and he's going to use you and keep pressing into the Holy Spirit that he'll be the life in you and you'll become the life in the church. So good. Uh, in January, yeah. I had the privilege of ministering in some churches in Holland. A lot of them are quite traditional. And there are people that are hungry for more. And I said, stop trying to bring all the change in the church and be the different church out on the street. Yeah. So don't complain about the change in the church if you're not ministering on the street, praying for miracles, praying for healings, being the body out on the street. People will come in. But it is difficult. If there's no church, then um, try to be the life in the church until the pastor says, that flippin' bulldog, talk nonsense to you. And then uh, get all of Heinz. He's got all the answers. <laughs> I wish. That would be nice. No, I, my, my feeling about, about which church to go to is, for me, the simple answer, which is simple in the answer, maybe not in the execution, is to be obedient. Ask God, where should I go? And if He sends you to a traditional or church where you may not want to go yourself, then He has a plan for you in that place. Uh, but if He sends you to wherever, there will be a plan. And uh, so for me, it's, a, it's an obedience thing. Don't church hop. Go where God sends you. And then don't just visit, you know, be, become part of the church. That's where there's covering, there's protection, there's, you know, there's so much. Um, I, I've spoken to many people that have told me about how they've been hurt and, uh, and, and if they go through tough times, whatever. One of the first questions I ask them is, are you part of a local church? And then normally they would tell me, no, they're not part of a local church. And, and then I would say, I, I would start there. Because the, there's, a, there's a supernatural covering that comes with being part of something greater than you that's part of the body of Christ that you can't even explain. It's like getting married. I experienced this covering when I got married 
um, that it's hard to explain. It's a supernatural thing, and it's a similar thing with the local church. That's, that's what I think anyway. So I hope that helps that lady who asked that question. Sure. And also, don't go to church expecting to get something. Go to church expecting to give something. So good. Don't, so good. Yeah. So if you go there to receive, you're normally going to be disappointed. If you go there to give, it's impossible to disappoint because you can only give what you've got, and that's Jesus. Amen. That's really good. Um, please share with us how you made the transition from being, you know, now a newborn Christian, complete, complete 180 from the life you had in, in, and then being a son of God and how, how you transitioned from there into full-time ministry. So I, I went uh, about three months after getting into this church. I found a good church and the church wasn't close to me, but it was a good church. Uh, I was living in Centurion. They were in Bedford View. And so I started going there. We traveled through and we, we lost everything, broke, living in a house with nothing. Go there and get to have some uh, hot coffee. And it was really a blessing in itself. And I went and spoke to one of the pastors. I said, well, this is the deal. There's no way God brought me out of the life that I've lived so that I can sit here in warm chairs because you've got enough people doing that. Yeah. It's your responsibility as a leader. Lead me. And uh, so I shared a bit of my story with him. And I said, I'm called for more. I'm called to lead. I'm called to lead a church. I'm called to preach. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called everything that the Bible has called me to do. I'm going to do it. Wow. That's your responsibility now. And I kind of I enjoyed pushing the responsibility of that onto them. <laughs> and they said, okay, fine. And they didn't push me into Bible school. They didn't put me into that. They said, there are a few courses that you can get involved with in the local church. And then I did some online stuff as well and obviously studied. But they said, all right. This is what you can study, do foundations, do some leadership training. And then, you know, if you're an evangelist, get involved with some street ministry. And I started functioning wherever I could in the local church. And I'll never forget the first time the pastors came to me, the eldership team came. They said, we have an incredible need in the church. We'd like you to get involved. I'd been there about seven months. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to become a full-time pastor. They said, look, we've got this guy who's arresting one of the pastors. Will you please stand at the door and bounce him if he gets here? <laughs> I'm trying to get out of all of that and all Please you can see in my life. Is that, and um, it was really it. cool. The guy got there to thing and he took a swing at me and it, it wasn't a scuffle, but it was a ton of fun. And that's all they, they kind saw. of identified. Yeah, sure. And I had established my identity, my calling is not found in man. Sure. Because when you look at me, you go, thug, bad man, only a miracle. And then when I look at myself, I go, exactly, a miracle. Yeah. I should be dead. Yeah. would have been first part. Death would have been the next one. Sure. So I got in. I started serving wherever I could. I was on door duty. My, my, my sister, I think it was kind of penance. I don't believe in it, but it's like, for lack of a better word, now I've got to pay back for my evil. She got me into kids' ministry. <laughs> uh, running this, yeah. this, this, it is. It is. It, it, man, if your church hasn't got a good kids' ministry, and I'm, I'm speaking to everyone, not just ladies. If your church hasn't got a kid, good kids' ministry, go and become part of it and just be the best you can. Brilliant. To this day, I still form puppet shows. Um, I'm still actively involved in all our kids' ministry. That's awesome. I work enough with teenagers to know I'd rather get them when they're young um, because even the word says it's way easier to direct and bend a tree when it's a sapling. Sure. So I go, get involved in kids' ministry, underprivileged kids in a, in a suburb, a really rough suburb in Joburg. And I was first there just as an authoritarian. I just slapped kids around that were misbehaving. And, and kids are a brilliant place to minister because if you ever want to preach, preach to children. They won't say you bad. They'll say things like, you boring, or this is taking too long, or they'll, they'll dig in their nose so deep it looks like they're changing their mind. 
and then you know that you're actually not you're not cut out for this or you need to improve your game so I got involved anywhere that I could I, I'd serve wherever I'd attend everything my children know they don't ask me are we going to church they know we go to church yeah we go to prayer meeting not because we feel like it it's because we go and it's not out of a way to please God it's we do this this is what we do um, it has to really be something very tricky for us not to be able to go. If we go on holidays, we go to church. And my wife or son, I said to me, no, don't you want a break? I go, I do, but if I don't go, that's not a break for me. I need to go and to go and encourage another pastor. And I love going into other churches. You know, you can't see it now, but I'm covered in tattoos. I love going to churches <laughs> and make an altar call. And I can feel the whole church kind of looking towards this hoping, new thing. Yeah, hoping that you go. Hoping you should go. <laughs> I almost want to my hand up just so that their hopes aren't dashed. <laughs> and Brilliant. I love so, it. So, you know, I got involved and after being in church for a year, I was done with it. I thought, that's it. I can't do this anymore. Um, the, God is the slowest activator of ministries ever. Um, how can I be saved for a year and not be leading a church or doing something? Wow. Uh, and I hit a bit of a dip. Never, never sinned, but I just... I, locked, I, I lost a bit of momentum. And in that time, my wife, who had grown up in a very uh, conservative Christian home, hadn't been really active like I was with my parents. In those few months where I took a bit of a back seat and I was lazy, she stepped up her game. And after a few months, I realized I'm being left behind. I, oh, I need to up my game to sure. get back into work. Um, and when we got saved, something that gripped my wife and I immediately was every, every gift of the Holy Spirit is mine. Mm. I'm not trying to figure out my gifting. All I try to figure out is in the moment that I'm in now, what gifting is needed. Sure. Because I have the Holy Spirit. If I have all of Him and He's complete, I lack nothing. Uh, as opposed to trying to go, well, this is more what I lean. I mean, the things that I lean towards that I'm possibly in the natural more inclined to do. Yeah. Um, as far as um, we understood the gifting's ours. Everything is ours. And so she was just flying and eventually I realized, like, I've got to wake up. And I think it is grace that God had for my wife, because I'm quite an uh, intense person, um, it allowed her to not just catch up, but she just had new you know, life in her. Um, and after two years of being saved, I said to her, look, I'm, I'm done. I, are we either going to lead something or not? And then they asked us to lead a life group, which was a good start, and we started leading a life group. But um, it was a bit of fun, but also quite intense. If you're not there out there saving people, what you know, you have no good. The Lord should take you home. And I was just really very intense. Uh, and and when you get saved out of a life like mine, you become legalistic. Um, I said to my wife, I think we should stop eating pork and we've got to do all these things and we had to process some weird stuff. And it's healthy. You process things because yeah. now I have those moments with other folk and they, um, I can speak, you know, first-hand experiences, what I get to enjoy. And then we had been saved three years. And there was a call, and I, I'd been praying, Lord, give me a small town. I don't want a big city. Give me a small town to lead a church. I want to go there and be a big rock in a small pond. I don't want to be a pebble in the ocean. And um, a church approached the church that we were in, and they said, no, they're going to kind of, they need somebody to take over. I'd led nothing. I'd led a life group for a few months. And, and I said to my wife, I think this could possibly be us. And it was in Secunda. Wow. And the church the church was dying in a bit of trouble. They were, they were considering closing it down. Mm. And I said to my wife, I said, let's go. Let's just, 
And so we started coming to visit Secunda on Wednesday nights for prayer meetings. And then uh, on every third Sunday that let us preach. I'd never preached before in my life. But when the senior pastor said to me, look, can you preach? I just looked at him and I said, of course I can. <laughs> and, uh, good. That's a good answer. You know, that, of course I easy. can. I mean, I'm, of course I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. I can, I can do all things through Christ with a well-used scripture out of context. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> ah, well-used scripture out of context. Uh, Oof. <laughs> and I just thought, you know what, if he can do it, so can I. Um, and they said, okay, you'll be preaching once a month, and we got here, and we fell in love with people, and honestly, if your motivation, or it's not your motivation, if your motives are not to love people, whatever your ministry is will crumble. Mm. It'll, it, it'll fail because it's synthetic. So true. The only thing Jesus died for was people, so your ministry has to be people. And it's not a kumbaya, let's sit around the campfire loving people. It's the, I love you too much to see you go to hell and die, yeah. and not live out your some calling kind of love for people. So good. And we came to Secunda, met a lot, lot, really some great people. And then God took us on an incredible journey as we've led this church. We moved at the end of 20. So I was born again at the beginning of 2007. And um, we moved to, started ministering in, the, in Secunda at the beginning of 2010. And we moved to Secunda full-time at the end of 2010 to start our, to start our adventure in Christ. Amazing. And it's been way more, way more fun. That's so good, anything. bro. Yeah, I you love know, it. So many of me being, you know, bad, I just said yes to sin. It's it's nothing really. The testimony of me walking with Jesus, saying yes to Him, that's the real adventure. That's, that's so powerful. Part. I love it. Um, I want to I want to get you back on and and uh, and speak about some specific subjects, but I think that's such a powerful testimony, and uh, as it definitely must have had an impact on many lives today. So I would like you to. You know, you've, you say you have access to all the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit and um, maybe you operate in all five of the fivefold ministry. Uh, <laughs> I so, didn't say that. I don't put words in my mouth. I'm kidding, bro. <laughs> no, but I, what I'm getting at is I would, I would love for you to just make, you know, share the gospel and make an invitation to those listening. Um, we may have one person that, that hasn't given their life to Christ. Mm. Um, and maybe mm. there are some listening that in... In some area, in some way, they, they have fallen away or they've lost hope or they've been hurt um, or they're struggling with an addiction um, just to, to invite them to come home like, like you did and then uh, just lead them in a prayer. I would really appreciate that. It would be an honor. Be an honor. Um, but I want to talk through this just for a moment. You see, our, our problem is... If I speak to, if I'm speaking to you and you've never given your life to Jesus and you've listened to my story and you think, oh, well, it applies to him. No, it applies to everyone. It's not about how good you are and how bad you are. It's about how incomplete you are. And you're, you're not complete to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You, sure, that's nobody, good. Nobody's that deluded that they think they're actually okay. Yeah. We try to convince ourselves, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a delusion. It's, it's, it's a lie. And when you look at yourself, you know that you're incomplete. There's something completely, you, you're actually broken. And then comes Jesus to pay the price because we, the sin breaks us. You know, it, it, the, the punishment of sin is death according to the word of God, which is true. Well, sin, so that we've got this, we've got this death gene that's in us that we're born with. And then Jesus comes and he pays the price. So he takes our place where we should die. He hangs on the cross and he pays for every single sin 
He pays for every mistake. He pays for every bit of chaos you can ever do. He pays for every addiction. He hangs there and he takes it all on himself. Packs himself with everything. From every immoral sexual desire, from every desire to steal, every possible conceivable mess, he packs on himself so he can have it dealt with. And he, he, he then says, I'm going to handle this and I'm going to die on your behalf. He then he comes back from the dead three days later after having dealt with it. And he deals with that in three days, what we could never deal with in eternity. And then he says, will you follow me? And the purpose, the way we follow Jesus is to give him our life. Because the decisions we make, the ideas we have, the thoughts we have, cannot tie into his until we give him ourselves. And then we make the decision and we make the confession not to be better people. Don't try to be better. You, you, you need to just have a relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. And there's things in your life that he's going to deal with. There were things that he had to deal with and he's still dealing with me to this day where I've got to process things and I've got to think about things and I go, man, I'm messing up all the time. But because Jesus paid the price, I now have a relationship with God. And it's in that relationship I get to say on a daily basis, I'm so sorry. We often, I've heard unsaved people pray that prayer, our Father who art in heaven. You don't get to pray that if you haven't given your life to Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you have no right to pray that prayer. But when you've given your life to Christ and you're pursuing Him and following Him, and you can just start off with, my dad who is in heaven, oh my gosh, there's nothing greater that you get to pray. And, and, and then in that understanding, it's that it's not how bad I was, it's how perfect Jesus is. And you could have walked an average life all your, all your life, but you need Jesus. You need that, the, 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 the death gene in you to just be removed and the new life Amen. in Christ. The blood of Jesus makes us new. He washes the way our sin, but He makes us new. If you've never, if you've never given your life to Jesus, please don't try to fix yourself up before coming to Him. That would like, kind of be, let me get better before I go for surgery. Mm. Let the surgeon do the work. Let yeah. the surgeon. It says He takes out the heart of stone and gives us a, a heart of flesh. It says we were once dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ. People say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? It's how can practical people not, how can normal people, sinful people reject a loving God? So, it's not about changing, it's not about changing your behavior. It's about changing your, your bloodline. When wow, you accept Jesus so as your Lord and Savior, when you accept Him as Lord and Savior, you become a son and daughter of God. And you get baptized in water and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then that's the adventure. I want to, I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I also want to, if you've wandered away, if you've just, you know, you've gone on a bit of a, a, a tangent and you've just lost yourself in sin and you find yourself listening to this today, I promise you God is not a God of coincidences at all. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and that, that sense that you're feeling in your heart right now, my gosh, what have I done? I'm, I've messed up. Can you ever take me back? I promise you there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Amen. I'm going to lead so us good. in prayer. And, and if, that, if this testimony has spoken to you, if that, what I've just shared with you now has spoken to you, don't wait for next week to give your life to Jesus. It's not about securing your afterlife. It's about having a relationship with God from the moment you give your life to Him. So if you pray this with me, and you can repeat it with me. If you've never prayed this, you pray, just, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, 
for dying on the cross. Thank you for dealing with my mess. And I thank you, Jesus, that as I put my faith in you, I become a child of God. I thank you that you make me new. I thank you that no matter how great my sin is, regardless of my past, you're interested in my future. I put my life in your hands. I put my past in your hands. I put my present in your hands right now. And I surrender my will, my future, my destiny. I surrender to you. Today I confess with my mouth because I believe in my heart that Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life, the only way to the Father. Thank you that in this moment I'm born again. And as a born again child of God, I pray Holy Spirit, baptize me and fill me, speak to me, lead me and guide me. I pray, teach me how to read the Bible the way it was written. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. So just find a church that reads the Bible, believes in the Word, that honors Jesus, that allows the Holy Spirit access to the meetings. Yeah. And go and be the life that God, and live the life God has called you to live. Amen. And if you're in Zakunda and uh, you haven't visited Lighthouse Church and you're looking for a church, uh, I'm not talking about people that are already committed at a local church. Uh, Derek wouldn't want that either. Uh, but please go check out um, their church. You can go to their website. They've got online, uh, online. sorry, what's the word everything. for teachings? Online everything. <laughs> home church. I looked online at some church, of their services. Church. So good. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. Um, I love it. Um, I was just thinking while you were praying, I was going to end off, but I, I would like to ask if you can end off with uh, just a, a message to us as a nation in lockdown, facing this pandemic, how to adapt to the situation. Uh, we've had people that have lost jobs, work, uh, income. There's all kinds of things that are the, the, part of the fallout of this whole thing. And uh, I'm pretty sure fear and anxiety and all kinds of stuff is quite prevalent. And uh, I, I would just love to know if, you know, what what's on your heart to minister to South Africa as a nation in this time? That's a good question. So what I'm going to share just a few seconds is what I've had to share with so many people who are going through divorces, financial chaos, that are going through heartache and pain is do not allow your power, love, and self-control or sound mind to be stripped away because of fear. Mm, so good. See, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control, sound mind. If fear grips us, we lose our love, we lose our power, we lose the ability to reason and to think and to have self-control. Mm. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to create this incredible fear. He wants us to get distracted. He wants us to look at what the world's doing. He wants us to look at the economy. Friends, in all honesty, in the natural, South Africa should have been sunk years ago. Yeah. Our legacy, it just, it's not possible that our currency still stands. The, you know, the, the, the rating agencies give us junk status. It's a good thing that the investors don't care and they continue investing in this country. God does not need a rating agency. He doesn't need pol politicians. He doesn't need a mask. He doesn't need sanitizer to deal with what's happening in this country. He wants his children to understand that he's given us love and power and sound minds to move forward. Amen. But if we're going to be distracted and get wrapped up in fear, we're going to become functionless. So good. This is the moment for us to shine. 
even the dimmest light, you light a match during the day, no one notices it. But you walk into the darkest room, you light a match. You are the light in the room. Mm. And the darker the environment gets, the easier it is for the dimmest light to shine. However, the reality is, if you're going to shine, people are going to listen to what you have to say. Mm. And you need to start speaking about Jesus, not as the get out of COVID free card, but as the one that can make sense of the chaos and brings purpose to your life. Sure. Jesus never gave me a better life. He gave me a purposeful life. Mm. And in all honesty, sometimes purpose can be uncomfortable. Yeah. But if you found in Christ, it doesn't matter what we go through. There's so many illustrations in Scripture. It's as long as we can conquer that fear. Because fear will bring in unreasonable thinking. You know, if you look at racism across the world right now, it's birthed out of fear. Because yeah. where there's fear, there's no love. Sure. You can't love people if you're scared of them. Yeah. So the devil wants to create these, these racial restrictions and these racial divides based on fear mm. and false news. And if you're being fed more by social media and other people's opinions more than what you're being fed by the Word of God, the Word of God will never have relevance in your life. So good. Whereas if you're fed by the Word and the promises of God become your, your, your food, it's going to become your reality. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Oh, God has not given me a spirit of fear. So I know as soon as fear starts, that's not who I am. Yeah. I have power over the sound mind, and that's what motivates me. That's so good. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. I, I, I'm in agreement. I think that is the, the biggest trip up that we face. And, uh, and I also yeah. think of Romans 12 that says, do not be conformed to this world, yeah. which means we, we can't allow ourselves to think and react the same way that the world does. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And if, if we are born-again believers, then our worldview should be a biblical God is in control and a loving God and He's with me view. And, and we should stand on the Word of God. And, you know, we have so much, so many promises, so many truths that we have as joint heirs with Christ, as co-laborers with Christ, as friends of God. And, yeah, so we, we have to stand on that. I, I, I'm just in agreement and uh, I want to encourage everyone listening to, to stand on your identity as a son and a daughter of the living God. And uh, as you also, I also say, uh, like you said now, that we should be make sure that we are reading more of the good news than the news. Because uh, that's yeah. the truth. You know, we don't know what we can believe, what is being told to us in the news. We, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that it's up in the air. It, it's, it's a mesh of paid for and opinionated whatever uh, sometimes it, there's a sliver of truth but then it's tainted by someone's opinion we don't know what's true and what's not true but we can know that the word of yeah. God is true and we can stand on that we can proclaim it we can speak it we can prophesy it and that is I love what you said we need to be the light and that is how we can be the light right now in this nation and that's how we love people you know we need to love God and we need to love people and that's how we love people is we we share the light. We share the love of God. And I'm, I don't mean that in the, in the universe sense. I mean that in the I love Jesus and He's my Savior sense. Be the light and the love that people need. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate your time and uh, your, your passion for Jesus. Um, I, I'm just so uh, enthralled with the presence of God in your life because you've really surrendered your life to Him. And I just want to honor you for what you guys are doing in Sukunda and uh, for what God is doing through your ministry. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see. Uh, and uh, I would just like to pray for you as well. 
Lord Jesus, oh, I thank awesome. you. Thanks. I thank you for Derek, his wife, his family, his ministry. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that even before we went on the air, it told me how they've been so blessed and highly favored in this time and that they could even give more and help more than ever before. I thank you, Lord, for your hand on their, on their family and on their ministry. And I pray that there will be more of that. I pray for that the glory will increase, that the, that the influence will increase and, uh, and that your name will, will remain and become even more the name above all names in Secunda. I thank you, Lord, that, that you've got a mandate for them. Help them to walk in wisdom uh, in the fullness of that mandate and that calling that you've given them. And I, I thank you that the, that the church lighthouse is really that. They are a lighthouse to, of Jesus to the city. And uh, yeah, I just pray that they go from strength to strength in what they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I receive it. Thank you so much. Thank it's been you, awesome brother. being with you, man. Really appreciate it. And yeah, it's an honor. Thank Bless you. you. Yeah, you Keep too, up the bro. Thank you. And uh, send our love to your, your wife and kids and uh, have a wonderful day. I really appreciate you, man. Yeah. I'm just going to say goodbye to the people. Just hang on the line there for me for a sec. Guys, thanks so much for joining us and uh, for being part of Love Unlocks. Uh, what an incredible testimony of how God unlocked Derek's life from a complete one way to a complete other way. And that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe your story isn't as drastic, but, it's, but, but Jesus is still the one that can give us the fullness that we all need to have. I love what he said that, you know, you're not bad or good. You are either incomplete or complete. We all have that God-shaped hole inside of us that only God can fill. And, uh, and, and we need to, to, to get into a relationship with him to do that. And I really believe that God's love can unlock anything in our lives. So thank you for joining us. And, and please remember to join us again tomorrow. I just want to quickly add this um, quick ad break. My wife and I are doing a online marriage seminar. We're just calling it Let's Talk Marriage. Uh, we're going to do it once a week on Thursday nights for 10 weeks live on a private Facebook page. And uh, you can go in the link in this, in, in this uh, post. There's a link to, that, to those tickets and you can get yours and, uh, and join us for that chat. I think it's an important chat. We really believe that marriage is God's idea. And uh, we can always all do better. Uh, so come and join us for that chat. Come and ask your questions. And uh, we trust that God will, will do something special in that time. And, uh, and yeah, remember to go check out Pastor Derek's website and their church. And if you're in the area, go and visit them. It's always a great experience. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.